0: You are listening to a message from the Living Word Community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Praise the Lord, it's great to be able to open the scriptures with you again this morning privilege, a joy, and honor that I have. And I'm, I'm opening my Bible to Isaiah chapter 25. So if you have one of these things, even if it's electronic, that's okay. Open it with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 25. And uh, we're going to read some scripture together today. And I really, again, appreciate, I always want to say this, when the Lord speaks to us early in the service, and he said a number of things to us about uh, a variety of su- subjects through, through different people. He he talked to us about um, enduring and preparing to see him and, and his uh, having a reward for those who are faithful and who overcome, uh, among other things, from from Revelation chapter 3. And uh, I'm also really gra- grateful for uh, the scriptures that were shared last week, because if you were here last week, you know that my brother Ephraim uh, preached a really powerful message uh, for us um, about trust. And uh, it was a powerful thing, the word that the Lord spoke to us. He said, among other things from Isaiah, uh, excuse me, from Psalm 125, he said, uh, blessed are those who trust in the Lord. They will be like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. That's, and he was encouraging us to trust in the Lord and not in ourselves, not in circumstances, not at the events of the world. And he also shared a passage powerfully from the end of uh, Psalm 32, Uh, where the psalmist says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. There's that contrast between what happens to the wicked and what happens to those who are righteous and who trust in the Lord. And the Lord's been speaking already powerfully about that through this service, and I just want to sort of add a couple of footnotes to that. Now, for those of you who are are here uh, toward the start of the the service, um, you're probably going to think that I was set up because my brother Dave, even though he looks like a nice guy, has a tendency to steal the scriptures that I'm going to use. And so he read from Isaiah chapter 25 in the exact same verses that we're going to be looking at today. So uh, if you were here at the beginning of the service, and not all of you were, unfortunately, but if you were here at the beginning of the service, you you can um, just take a nap now because uh, all I'm going to do is add a couple of footnotes to the passage that, uh, that Dave shared from Isaiah chapter 25. To, and this is the, verse, the, chat, the passage, by the way, that we read yesterday. Today we were reading Isaiah 26, and tomorrow 27 in our readings together. So um, praise the Lord for confirming his word. And uh, first I thought, maybe I came to the wrong church. I don't need to preach this message. It'll already been preached. And then I thought, well, maybe I came to the right place after all. I want to start by asking you a question. Do you like to sing? Do you have a good voice? I mean, do you have a good voice? No? Some of you say yes, some of you are nodding, some of you are not so sure. Um, If you have a good voice, who told you that? Maybe we should get a second opinion. The most important thing is not whether you can carry a tune, uh, but the most important thing is making a joyful noise to the Lord. And uh, it's, it's a joy to be able to sing and rejoice. And the Lord's been speaking to us a lot already today about rejoicing and about shouts of joy. And if you like to sing, you will love heaven because heaven is a place that resounds with song, filled with song. And uh, we, talk, we, we sang already about the song of the Lamb. And uh, the, actually, in Revelation chapter 15, the Apostle John is in heaven, and he sees a vision Of a a duet in heaven in Revelation chapter 15. It's the song of Moses and the Lamb. And uh, so it's kind of like uh, the greatest prophet from the Old Covenant and then Jesus, the initiator of the New Covenant that we've just celebrated. And they're singing together in heaven. And in Revelation 15, they, they sing this, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O oh Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come before you in worship, for your righteous acts have been revealed. That's one of the songs uh, in the book of Revelation. Not only is heaven filled with song, but the scriptures are filled with song. And uh, so if you don't like to sing, and if you don't like to listen to music, you're going to feel a little awkward. But um, the scriptures are filled with song. And as you know, probably the longest by far Book in this Bible be, that you have before us is a book of songs. Uh, but the Psalter is not the only book of songs, and in fact, the second longest book in the Bible is also filled with songs. What's the second longest book in the Bible? Anybody know? It is, as many of my brothers are saying, brothers and sisters, the book that we have before us today, the book of Isaiah, is a song book. And you probably thought, didn't you, that it was, a, it was a, prophet, a, book, a book of prophecy. Well, it is a book of prophecy. But it's also a book of history and a book of songs. And uh, there are many songs in Isaiah. And probably, in a way, some of the most significant songs in the book of Isaiah is, is a group of four songs that occurs toward the end of the book uh, in chapters 40 through, from the 40s through the 50s. And they are called by readers of the Bible the servant songs. Some of you may be familiar with the servant songs of Isaiah. There are four of them. And they're songs that are sung about God's servant, about the Messiah, about the Lord Jesus. The four servant songs of Isaiah, they start in chapters 42, 49, 50, 52. Some of our favorite passages in the scriptures are included in the four servant songs. But they're not the only songs in Isaiah. In fact, Uh, These songs are foreshadowed by the chapter that we read yesterday, Isaiah 25, and Isaiah 26, which we're reading together as a congregation today. In my translation of the Bible, yours may be a little bit different because this isn't part of the inspired word of God, but they put headings over chapters and sections of Scripture. And Isaiah chapter 25 says a song of praise for God's favor. Isaiah chapter 26 says, in the Bible, I'm looking at right now says so a song of trust in God's protection. So there's lots of songs in the Bible, and the the four servant songs are foreshadowed. And today we're going to read uh, the opening part of uh, chapter 25. And the passage of scripture we're going to read uh, contains many of the of the key themes that occur throughout and recur throughout the book of Isaiah. But two of them are two that Dave specifically mentioned in his opening when he read from Isaiah chapter 25, and they are. First of all, the theme of of divine judgment. God will judge the wicked. And in the passages and chapters leading up to the ones we read uh, yesterday, God has judged several nations, including Egypt and Edom and uh, Arabia, and even his own people, uh, Israel and Judah, are judged by the Lord for their evil and for their wickedness and their sin. First theme, God's judgment of the wicked. The second theme, God's vindication of the righteous. God will support the cause of the righteous, he will exalt them, he will save them, he will deliver them. So God judges the wicked, God vindicates the righteous, and the place where that takes place, the vindication of the righteous, is in Jerusalem and specifically on Mount Zion, and we're going to to see that. After the chapters 25 and 26, the passages that we're reading right now, um, there are many more judgments to come. We're not at the end of God's judgments. Uh, He continues to judge the wicked and to vindicate the righteous. But the verses that we're going to read in in, in Isaiah Isaiah chapter 25, the first opening verses, are kind of a, a refreshing glimpse. They're kind of a pause for a moment in considering God's judgment for us to look ahead. A glimpse of what is to come. A refreshing glimpse of God's ultimate plan his ultimate purpose for his people. The first verse of the chapter says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name. For you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. Plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. And it is a glimpse of those plans that we see in the opening verses of Isaiah chapter 25. When you're toiling and laboring and struggling toward a goal, but you haven't reached it yet, sometimes it gets a little exhausting, and uh, you need to get some refreshment along the way. Maybe you're at a point like that in your spiritual life right now, I don't know. About a year ago, I was uh, climbing uh, in the Adirondacks in upstate New York, where we go every summer, and um, I was climbing a mountain called Treadway Mountain, and it was a long, hot, heavy climb and I was kind of sweating and tired and wondering how many more times I could force my knees to bend and unbend. And, uh, uh, just, but there's a spot along this, as you're approaching the summit of Treadway Mountain that, that hikers call the Gothic's window. And got, what Gothic's is, is one of, the beautiful, uh, one of the most beautiful and highest of the high peaks in the Adirondacks Mountains in upstate New York. And as you're going along the, on, toward the summit of Treadway, which is not that high, um, you can see, like a break uh, in the forest through the dark green trees, a beautiful vision of gothics, the mountain gothics, before you gleaming in the sun if it's a sunny day. And it, it kind of inspires you, and you say, this is why I'm doing all this, you know? This is why, is because of the high peaks, because of the vision of, of what is to come and what is ahead. And that's what I, I want uh, for, for, for you and for me as we look at Isaiah chapter 25 today, is to give you a, a glimpse of the hope toward which we are pressing, of the victory the Lord has promised to us, the rejoicing that's to come. Do you need that? The setting for this is actually the very last verse of the previous chapter. Isaiah chapter 24, verse 23. It says, For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. That's what we're going to be reading about God reigning, Zion and Jerusalem, and his glory being before his elders. O Lord, you're my God. I'll exalt you. I give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. For you have made a city into a heap, a fortified fortified city into a ruin, a place, a palace of strangers is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, a strong people will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. For you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a rainstorm against a wall. Like heat in drought, you, Lord, subdue the the uproar of aliens. Like heat by the shadow of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is silenced. Verse 6, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, Mount Zion, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Hallelujah. What a powerful vision of what is to come. What a magnificent declaration. What a, what a joyous, joyous song of God's fulfillment of his promises to us. Wonderful plans that he's made for us individually. Plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. I hope if you, as we read passages like this, and, and they're rife in the book of Isaiah and elsewhere in the scriptures, that you get stirred a little bit. You know if you can read a passage like this and and yawn and turn the tv on check your pulse spiritually because this is this is exciting stuff this is what our god does this is who he is and it starts in verse 1 of isaiah 25 with an acknowledgement of our personal relationship with the lord this is where it begins for us oh lord you are my god my god i will exalt you i will give thanks to your name not talking about somebody else's god somebody i've heard about Somebody else told me about it. You are my God. And he says, The reason I'm going to give thanks to your name is because you've worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. God is a God who keeps his word to us. You know, men and women are not like that. We're fickle, we're capricious. We say we're going to do something and often forget and often don't do it and often fail and make excuses. Jesus told a story about a man who decided to build a tower. And uh, after he was halfway through, he found out he didn't have enough money to finish it. And he was a, a laughingstock, so there's half of a tower standing in a, in, on the plane and people saying he didn't have enough to finish. And that's really what we're what, what people are like. We start things, we don't always finish them. God is not like that. As the Lord has already spoken to us earlier in their service, he is the Lord of the past, the Lord of the present, the Lord of the future. Again, in Revelation, the Apostle John sees the elders and the living creatures falling down before him, and uh, they say, holy is the Lord of hosts, he who was, he who is, he who is to come, the Almighty. He is the one who keeps his word to a thousand generations. I don't know if you're like me, but I like people that are dependable. People I can count on. People who say they're going to do something and then they follow through with it. One of the most important principles in in good parenting, if you're a parent or you aspire to be a parent, uh, is consistency. Kids need consistency. If my child misbehaves and I, and I, I yell and shout and spank, and then the next day does the same behavior and I Ignore it. What am I teaching that kid? I'm capricious. You can't really trust me. I may, I'm, I, I can't. I may not be dependable. I may not do the same thing time after time. God is not like that. He's a good dad. Amen. Have you found him to be so? One of my favorite passages in the Scripture that has to do with God keeping His word and fulfilling His promises and. And the plans that he's formed long ago, bringing them to fruition, is uh, the, the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. And, uh, in fact, if you have a minute, I'd like to just take a glance at, at Ephesians 1 with you. So, uh, just a couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 1, if you will turn there with me for a moment. The first chapter of the book of Ephesians, or if you want to follow along. In Ephesians 1, five, in Ephesians 1, four. It says that God chose us, that this is you and me, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according the kind, to the kind intention of his will. It, in verse uh, 8, it says he's lavished on us, Ephesians 1.8, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in Christ. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing of all things in Christ. Things in heaven, things on the earth, and um, through whom we have obtained an inheritance have been predestined according to him who does all things, according to the counsel of his own will. You see, God does what he plans. He fulfills his will. When the Lord is confused and needs advice, do you know who he goes to? Nobody, because he's never confused, and he doesn't need our advice. doesn't mean we shouldn't pray and uh, express our desires and needs to him, but he doesn't need my advice because he's fulfilling already the plans that he made long ago in his perfect faithfulness. Amen? What follows here in Isaiah chapter 25 in the early verses is a particular judgment that the Lord is, is making on a particular group of people. In verse 2, he says, You, Lord, have made a city into a heap, a fortified city into a ruin, a palace of strangers is a city known more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, a strong people will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. For you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in, the, in, in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat from the breath of the ruthless for the breath of the ruthless is like us is like rain against a wall like heat and drought you subdue the uproar of aliens like heat by the shadow of a cloud the song of the ruthless is silenced god is bringing a railing judgment here against a particular group of people those that he identifies as the ruthless he mentions them three times in verses 3 four, five. Ruthless people, people who are cruel and selfish and inflict their will on those who are weaker than they are, often violently. Ruthless people. What does God say he's going to do to them? He's going to destroy their city, verse two. He's going to bring them into forced submission and reverence toward him, verse three. And he's going to silence their song. This is a devastating judgment of God on the ruthless Why does God hate ruthlessness so much? One of the key virtues of the kingdom of God and the citizens of it is mercy, the opposite of ruthlessness. In that incredible sermon that spans Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, that lays out for us the principles of behavior for the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says very early on in that powerful message Blessed are the merciful for they will obtain mercy. The merciful will obtain mercy. The opposite of mercy, ruthlessness. Cruelty, treating others without mercy. God will judge the ruthless. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 5, toward the very end of uh, our version of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, it's a, God, God is talking about... Um, the, those who oppress the widow and the orphan and, and do other kinds of sin. And he said, I will be a swift witness against them. God is a swift witness against the ruthless, against the merciless, those who oppress the, the, the helpless. By the same token, God is, he is there to bless those who are merciful, those who live by the opposite of ruthlessness. He will bless them, those who are the defenders of the needy, because that's what he does. It says in verse 4, you, Lord, have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. This is the mercy of God. There's a young man in our congregation who has been called fairly recently into the profession of law, into the legal profession. And um, a lot people go into law for a lot of reasons. Uh, One is it's Prestigious. Another is you can make a lot of money if you're a lawyer, if you're a successful lawyer. But there are other reasons to go into law. You know, lawyers usually don't drive Toyota Corollas, they usually drive Mercedes Benz and sometimes Lamborghini or Ferrari or something like that. Um, the person I'm thinking of, I don't think it's, I'm ever going to see behind the wheel of a, of a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. Um, because the reason that this young man was called into the profession of law was to be a voice for the voiceless, to defend the needy, to be a voice and to speak for those who have no, no others to speak for them. And I believe that the Lord really honors that and he wants us to be like he is, a defender of the needy and, a, and, and one who cares for those who are weak and those who are oppressed by the ruthless. You've been paying to, uh, uh, attention to current events and what's been going on in the news in the last couple of weeks. Is there one particular group of people that really jump out at you right now as being ruthless? You don't have to say who they are. But um, I believe that there are people on, the, on this planet today that are, are violently inflicting their will on other people, those who are weak, those who are helpless, those who are defenseless, and they think they're getting away with something. They are not getting away with anything. God is a judge of the ruthless. The United States military may have pulled out of Afghanistan. Our loving Heavenly Father has not pulled out of Afghanistan. He is there right now with those who are suffering persecution for the sake of Jesus. He is there right now to be the defender of women and girls uh, whose, whose liberty and life is, is in danger and of all those who are in danger of losing what, that which they hold dear. Just going to pray for a minute. Father, I, we just want to, uh, again, Lord, as a people, lift up our brothers and sisters in that land. And Lord, we pray that you would be a defense to the defenseless, a father to the fatherless. Lord, that you would be a judge of the ruthless. But Lord, we just want to thank you for your mercy, for your love. Lord Jesus, for your presence with everyone who is facing persecution and suffering. In Jesus' name, Father, we pray. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be like your Heavenly Father? What's he like? It says in Psalm 68, verse 5, that he is a father to the fatherless. And it says he's a judge for the widows. God is an advocate for the widows, the orphans, for those who have no other other advocate. If you want to be like him, do what he does. This is not the only passage in Isaiah that talks about ruthlessness and God's uh, judgment of the ruthless. Just to mention, it, you don't have to turn here, but a couple of other quick passages. Um, One is uh, chapter 29, verse 5. Isaiah 29, verse 5. If you're quick, please turn along with me. Otherwise, you can, can listen. But uh, chapter 29, verse 5. Oh, I'm in chapter 30. That won't help. Um, the multitude of your enemies, Lord, will become like fine dust. And the multitude of the ruthless ones like chaff, which the wind blows away. It will happen instantly, Suddenly. God's going to blow away like chaff, the ruthless. Another passage earlier in Isaiah. This is Isaiah 13:11. I don't know if you take notes, but you can jot these down and write them, look at them later if you want to. But Isaiah 13:11. This is the Lord speaking. Isaiah 13:11. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the arrogance of the proud, and I will abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. The fate of the ruthless, pretty clear. God doesn't mince words. What then will be the fate of the merciful? We already said in, in Matthew 5, 7, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. What a beautiful thing to be looking for in, t- in obtaining mercy. Twenty chapters later in the same book in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives a powerful illustration of the fate of the merciful. Because you remember he tells this story of the shepherd who separated the sheep from the goats. And what does the shepherd say to those on his right hand? He says, come, you who are blessed by my Father, chosen before the foundation of the world, and inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you. Why? What's, what are the qualifications for being that? I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was in prison. I was sick. You visited me. You came to me. And the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you in prison or sick or hungry or thirsty and come to you? And and this is what he will say. To the extent that you did it to the least of these, these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. The promise of an amazing blessing toward those who are the merciful ones. Okay, now in chapter 25 of Isaiah, I hope you're still with me in Isaiah chapter 25. We come to the good part. This is the delicious part of uh, God's word, God's promises. The Lord saves the best for last. When I was a kid, I uh, I knew that if I wanted to get the dessert the chocolate ice cream or whatever, or whatever it was, my mom had made it abundantly clear, you're going to eat your vegetables first. And uh, so when I was a kid, I hated broccoli. And my mom served us broccoli 21 day, meals a day, meals a week, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. No, not really. But we had, it seemed like we had broccoli an awful lot. And, um, boy, I really tore into that broccoli. And uh, I'll show you how I ate broccoli like this. I would, I would shovel it into my mouth as fast as I could while I was holding my nose. And, you know, that really works, by the way. If you don't want to taste something, just try it. it hold your nose and you will not be able to taste it. So I ate my broccoli really fast right at the beginning of the meal because I knew if I did that, I'd get the chocolate, uh, chocolate ice cream and I would come to the good part. This is the good part, the tasty part. Verse 6, the Lord of hosts, he's going to prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on Mount Zion. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow. You like juicy beef? Why, well, I do. Refined, aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all the nations. He will swallow up death for all time. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice in his salvation. Hallelujah. What we have here, brothers and sisters, is nothing less than a a vision of the eternal kingdom of God. Do you find that to be refreshing? Does it, does it cause hope to spring up in your heart? It's not the only one in the book of Isaiah, but it's one of the, more, one of the powerful ones. A vision of the eternal kingdom of God. One of the most powerful uh, descriptions of the same vision is much earlier in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 2. And in fact, if you have a minute, I'd like to flip there with you, Isaiah chapter 2. I want to read a couple of verses together from near the beginning of the book of Isaiah. This is another image of the same time that we've just read about in Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 2. Are you with me, Isaiah 2.2? Two, two. Now it will come about in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, and it will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Ephraim was talking about this in his sermon last week about wishing to see people streaming to the Lord and to the mountain of God. And many peoples will come, and they'll say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths. Why? For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations, and render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. Never again will they learn war. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for that. Have we had enough of wars yet? They're going to come to an end, according to the promise of the vision in Isaiah. Back to to chapter 25 again with, with me, if you don't mind. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. The Lord's talking about a lavish banquet that he will prepare on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. One of many images in the scriptures of God the host the Lord inviting people to come and to feast with him. Beautiful image. One of my favorite in the scriptures is at, toward the end of the Gospel of John, you know, when the disciples have been out fishing and come back fishless, and uh, Jesus greets them on the shores of the sea, and uh, he invites them to come, and he says, Come have breakfast. Do you remember what they eat at that feast? They eat roasted, freshly roasted fish, and fresh warm bread boy I can't think of very many things more delicious than that the sun rising in the presence of the risen, the risen Christ that was a feast that was a meal this is another one here in Isaiah chapter 25 another feast another vision of the banquet that is to come because you see our Lord saves the best for last you know Right now, we don't necessarily have the best. Right now, we may have some trials and tribulations, but God has something great in store. There's a great story, you know, in John chapter 2 about a wedding in Cana. And uh, a funny thing happened during the wedding reception. I, think, I know that some of you will remember this story because the head waiter calls the, group, the bridegroom over to him and says, this is a strange wedding reception because most men serve the good wine first, and then when men have drunk freely that which is poorer but you, you saved the good wine until now. Our God who saints saves the good for, for the, and he calls it, in verse 6 of Isaiah 25, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, refined, aged wine. One of the finest wines that I have heard of, I haven't tried it, although well, I wouldn't mind doing it someday, uh, is called Vintage Port. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Vintage Port. Port is a very special kind of fairly strong wine that's grown only in Portugal. The grapes are grown only in certain v- valleys in Portugal. And uh, the, when, when it's a good year, not every year, but when it's a great harvest, uh, the vintners do what they call declaring a vintage. And so they declare a vintage, and they bottle the, the, the wine, the port wine, and uh, it has to be aged. You can't drink it, you can if you're a boor, but if you're cool, if you're refined, you wait and you, you wait and drink it. And uh, in fact, the English have a tradition, uh, they bottle, they buy a bottle of freshly uh, bottled vintage port and uh, at the birth of a child, when a son or a daughter is born, they'll buy a bottle of port and they lay it down and they let it sit in the cellar for 21 years. And then when that boy... Or, or girl has grown up and become a young man or one young woman reached reach their majority, then they open the bottle and they celebrate it. That's the good stuff. That's the aged, refined wine. And that's what the Lord has in store for us. He saves the very best for last. There's something even better than, than eating uh, rich pieces of meat with marrow and, and drinking refined, aged wine. And it's what happens in verse 7 of Isaiah 25. Because this is what the Lord is going to do. On this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all of pe- all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. What's the shadow under which all human beings live? What's the fear? The writer to the Hebrews talks about it in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. He says it's through fear of this thing that people are subject to slavery all their lives. What's the veil? Verse 8. God will swallow up death for all time. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. This is what the Lord is going to do. We're talking, brothers and sisters, about nothing less than the death of death, the end of the great enemy, the end of fears, the end of tears, the end of the reproach of his people, There's another beautiful vision of this a few chapters later in in Isaiah chapter 35. And if you have have a minute, I'd like to look with you at Isaiah chapter 35, the last verse, Isaiah 35, 10. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 10. Continuation in a way of the vision. It says, The ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting. To Zion, We were singing about joyful shouting earlier in our, in our worship service, and some of us were doing some joyful shouting. They'll come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads. They'll find gladness and joy. Sorrow, sighing will flee away. The ransomed Lord will return. The end of verse 9 talks about rejoicing and being glad. In God's salvation. Brothers and sisters, we ought to be people of joy. We ought to be people that are constantly rejoicing. Not that we don't have pain and trials and troubles and tribulations and things that that concern us and responsibilities and cares that sometimes weigh us down. The Lord knows about those things. But the Lord wants us to have joy in the midst of that. And you know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that the sufferings of this present time aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. Why are, why are Christians moaning and complaining and depressed so much? I know we're not all, and not all the time, but too far too much sorrow and sighing. Eric uh, Johnson knows this already, but I have a friend who I wanted to tell you about briefly who was clinically depressed and um, just couldn't get out from under the the weight of depression and always sad and depressed. And he was so depressed that finally he went to see a psychiatrist about it. And um, he was actually a horse, my friend. And so he went to see a psychiatrist about it. And even he walked into the psychiatrist's office, and even before he lay down on the couch, the psychiatrist took one look at him and he said, why the long face? So that's what I want to say to you and to me. Why the long face? Why are we, why are we always sighing and groaning and complaining about, about how, how tough our life is? Is our life tough? Yeah, sometimes it's tough. And the Lord wants us to be realistic about it, but also in the midst to have a joy that he gives to us. What's going to happen to sorrow and sighing? According to Isaiah thirty-five ten, it's going to flee away. And death itself, you know, the Lord is going to swallow up for all time. And, and Paul rejoices about this in 1 Corinthians 15. And I know some of you are familiar with this passage. But he says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is toward the end of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, the, the sting of, of, of death is, of, is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us the victory over the law, over sin, over death through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Is there anything that's even better than the death of death, than the end of death? I think there's one thing. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 9. I love this verse. The prophet predicts it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. There's one thing that's even better than the end of death, and that is the Lord himself. This passage started out by talking about our relationship with the Lord. Oh Lord, verse 1, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name. It's the fact that God is our God. Dan Moser and I have a common favorite verse of scripture, and I think I might have mentioned this to you before, but it's, it's John chapter 17, verse 3. He, Jesus, in his high priestly prayer uh, before the cross, um, is praying to the Father, and he says, uh, among other parts of that prayer, he says, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life doesn't just mean living forever, living a long time. That's not eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God through Jesus Christ. That's the greatest thing. So just two questions I want to I leave you with. The first is, why the long face? Why am I complaining and griping so much? God has wonderful plans for me, wonderful plans for us. He said he's going to remove the the reproach of his people from all the earth. Plans that he formed long ago in perfect faithfulness. He chose you and me in Christ before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He brought us through adoption and uh, his family through Jesus Christ to himself. That that is his plan for us. Second question is this. What are you waiting for in your life? Are you waiting for your needs to be met? I want to wait for what Isaiah 25, 9 says. This is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice. Let's be glad in his salvation. Amen. Father, we want to thank you for your word to us. Lord, thank you so much for uh, Ephraim's exhortation to us last week about trusting in you, Lord, you said if we trusted in you, we'd be like Mount Zion, which can never be moved, but abides forever. Thank you for that promise and for all the promises of Psalms that our brother and Isaiah that our brother drew our attention to last week. Lord, thank you for reminding us earlier in the service today um, from Revelation chapter 3, the message to the church in Philadelphia, that um, you want us to endure, you want us to overcome, Lord, that you will have uh, written on us, The name of your God and the name of the holy city, the New Jerusalem, and you'll make us pillars in your temple, Lord. And just amazing, incredible promises you've made to us. And we thank you, Lord, for your justice, Lord. That the ruthless of this world will not escape your punishment because you are a holy God. And Lord, I ask you that you would make us, Lord, people who really live like sheep, who really. Um, feed you when you're hungry and clothe you when you're naked and visit you when you're in prison and sick uh, by doing it to the least uh, brother of these brothers of yours. Thank you, Lord.